0: Welcome to A Breath of Fresh Earth, taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman.
1: What are the five gyres? What is the definition of a gyre? You can use the noun gyre in a variety of ways, but it always means kind of a circle, especially one that coils or spirals. A gyre is a large-scale system of wind-driven surface currents in the ocean. The gyres are the five main subtropical gyres, located in the North and South Pacific, the North and South Atlantic, and the Indian Ocean. They're massive circular current systems. The accumulation zones of plastic that form in these gyres are a result of diminished winds and the currents occurring at latitudes synonymous with continental deserts. So think of it this way. Plastic is trapped in these currents, and sometimes it takes 10 years to cycle back out if it first doesn't get eaten by marine life or sink to the bottom of the ocean. Is there really a garbage patch of plastic the size of Texas floating around in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? No, of course not. The plastic island in the North Pacific gyre doesn't really exist. There are concentrations of plastic, but the plastic is constantly in the process of breaking down into smaller and smaller pieces. In the ocean, don't think of the plastic as an island. Think of it more like smog. 5 is run by Anna Cummings and Marcus Erickson. In 2008, they built a boat from 15,000 water bottles and an abandoned airline fuselage. They named the boat Junkraft and Marcus sailed it 2,000 miles from California to Hawaii, directly through the North Pacific gyre. His trip raised awareness of plastic pollution. One year later, Anna and Marcus founded the Five Gyres Institute to learn more about plastic pollution. In 2015, with encouragement from nonprofit organizations like Five Gyres, President Obama, remember him, signed the Microbead Free Waters Act into law. Anna and Marcus dedicated their lives to helping remove plastic from the world's ocean. You can learn more about them at 5 Gyres Online. That's G-Y-R-E-S. Go to their website and join the Trash Academy or become part of their ambassador program, where they teach you how to help in your own community. Right now, there's over 1,400 ambassadors across the globe from 67 different countries. When someone asks me in person, what can I do to help? I tell them about organizations like 5 Gyres. On the podcast, I usually play the soundbite.
0: But I'm just one person. What can I do to help?
1: Have you ever met one of your heroes? No, not like when I met Willie Mays as he walked through the hotel lobby many years ago, but a real hero, a person that changed your life for the better. Two years ago, on a cool September afternoon, I went to the shores of Lake Erie to see participants try to win the 10th Great Lake Erie Boat Float. The competition was inspired by Marcus's trip on the junk raft part design competition and part boat race. Marcus was on hand for the first boat float and returned to Cleveland for the 10th one. The boats are made from post-consumer recyclable materials and take to the lake to test their seaworthiness. I got to meet and talk with Marcus about his commitment to a plastic-free ocean. What a thrill to meet a guy like that. Marine vet, family man, scientist, committed to a worthwhile cause. He's got it all. But did he have to be so damn good-looking, too? After meeting Marcus, I decided I need to kick up my efforts. One of those ideas was an environmental podcast about all the good things people are doing to save the world, not just the bad. When you're done listening to this podcast, and after you tell all your friends about it, go online and type in 5gyres.org, or join the 23,000 people that follow them on Twitter, or the 62,000 people that follow them on Facebook. Congratulations to Marcus and Anna for making a huge difference as we try to clean up the oceans. place where legends are born. Next up, Scientists Warning Foundation, a nonprofit made up of an activist network of researchers and scientists. The foundation works to help protect life and ecosystems on earth by fostering an awareness of our responsibility as, as planetary stewards through evidence-based education and research. The mission of the Scientist Warning Foundation is to represent scientists who are warning humanity of the rapid increasing dangers of climate change. They list their values as science first, facts over personal interest, I guess there's no place for them in the White House, speaking truth to power, standing up for what we believe in taking action, transparency, fairness and equality, collaborative and cooperative. Scientist Warning Foundation suggests six critical and interrelated steps that governments and the rest of humanity can take to lessen the worst effects of climate change. Here's a short version of their goals. Energy. The world must quickly implement massive energy efficiency and conservation practices and must replace fossil fuels with low-carbon renewables and cleaner sources of energy. We should leave remaining stocks of fossil fuel on the ground and should carefully pursue effective negative emissions using technology such as carbon extraction from the source and capture from the air. Short-lived pollutants. We need to promptly reduce the emissions of short-lived climate pollutants, including methane and hydrofluorocarbons. Nature. We must protect and restore Earth's ecosystems. Coral reefs, forests, savannas, grasslands, wetlands, soils, mangroves, seagrasses, they all contribute. They all contribute to getting carbon out of the air. We need to quickly curtail habitat and biodiversity loss before everything's gone. We have to protect forests, especially those with high-carbon stores, food, eating mostly plant-based foods while reducing the global consumption of animal products. We need to drastically reduce the enormous amount of food waste around the world. In the economy, excessive extraction of materials and over-exploitation of ecosystems driven by economic growth must be quickly curtailed to maintain long-term sustainability of the biosphere. And lastly, population. We're still increasing the population of the world by 80 million people per year. That's about 200,000 per day. One of the interesting videos I watched on their YouTube channel was seeing my former birthday celebration scientist, James Hansen, talk about how it won't be enough to stop producing CO2. We need to find a way to remove what's already in the air. That was a little disheartening for me to hear. But he's right. Left on its own, carbon dioxide will take hundreds of years to dissipate. We've got to work a lot quicker than that. In future episodes, I'll talk about some suggestions that are going to make that happen. Exclusive. Let's hear it for Kenya. They've banned the use of single use plastics from its beaches, national parks, and forests. Hotels and lodges in the parks on the beach won't be able to sell single use items to visitors unless they're made from alternative materials, like paper or bamboo. Tourists can't bring in plastic water bottles, cups, or straws into protected areas. In 2017, Kenya enacted one of the strongest plastic bag bans, and the country boasts an 80% compliance with that law. How about a shout-out to the city of Sydney, the central borough of the larger metropolis of Sydney, Australia. They're running on all renewable energy. How'd they do it so fast? They developed a plan in 2019, and they're getting energy from a wind farm and two solar farms. In previous episodes, I mentioned Greenhouse, a board game about making wise choices to save the planet. They aren't the only ones with a clever idea. My children played the board game Catan a lot. The manufacturer of the game has a new twist on the popular game. This one's called Crop Trust. Players store seeds and manage crops to withstand the hazards that come with growth. Another choice is CO2, Second Chance a game where players try to stop climate change over decades via energy summits, lobbying, building the electric grid, and a lot more. A third option is Agricola. The premise is that each player builds their own farm and earns points based on how successful their farm grows. And my favorite in this group is called Energetic. Players race against time to build through clean energy to power New York City. Each player has a role in the game that provides them special abilities, like being the engineer or an activist or a journalist or the politician who tries to swing public sentiment. That one sounds fun. And for those with an eye for a more visual game, consider photosynthesis. Each player is a tree species, and you soak up sunlight to grow, plant seedlings, and the game takes you on the difficult journey trees have to live and thrive. The game includes strategy. You need to consider how your shadow falls, and that affects how the seeds grow. Think of photosynthesis as part strategy, part puzzle, and also beautiful artwork. Last May was the hottest May ever recorded. Every month this year has been warmer than usual. Apple plans to use only recycled and renewable materials in products and packaging and getting rid of plastic entirely by 2025. The master plan is by 2030, all Apple products will have zero climate impact. If my wishes come true when Joe Biden is elected president of the United States this November, the climate crisis will be over, right? Well, not quite, but we'll have a chance to take some positive steps. Let's take a peek at Biden's recently released climate plan. He's going to spend $2 trillion on clean energy initiatives, including transitioning the electric grid with the goal of running on 100% carbon-free energy by 2035. He wants to retrofit 4 million commercial buildings and 2 million homes. The plan doesn't ban fracking and isn't very specific about phasing out fossil fuel. However, considering the alternative and the current resident in the White House and his complete lack of leadership guiding us through COVID-19, voting for Biden is the single most important vote you might ever make in your life. July was a bad month for pipelines. The United States Supreme Court affirmed a lower court ruling it canceled a key permit for the Keystone XL pipeline, and another court shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline pending an environmental review. The Keystone Pipeline was scheduled to be 1,200 miles long and carry 35 million gallons of crude every day from Alberta, Canada to Nebraska. And to make it a perfect three-for-three, three, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline is canceled. Remember Hurricane Maria in 2017 and how it devastated Puerto Rico? Of course you do rebuilding the electric grid with renewable energy seemed like a no-brainer but billions of dollars are going to fossil fuel companies and companies tied to the president man woman person camera tv one of my most despised former epa employees scott pruitt was forced to resign in 2018 for many corrupt choices he made while he was the director of the epa but he still hasn't reimbursed them for his travel expenses. It's hard to choose who was the worst cabinet selection under this amateur our administration. Betsy DeVos as the head of the education department is tough to beat. On the Black Lives Matter episode a few weeks ago, I mentioned Formosa Plastics and how they have poisoned us with plastic pellets or nurdles. Two Louisiana activists were recently arrested in late June on charges of terrorizing oil and gas lobbyists for the terrible crime of, wait for it, What could they do that could be charged for terrorizing? They actually sent lobbyists a box of plastic pellets. Oh, the horror! Seems like the wording is a little harsh compared to the crime. Also in June, the Arctic Circle recorded its highest ever temperature of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature in that area in summer is usually in the upper 60s. Remember Sharpiegate when the president insisted Hurricane Dorian could impact the state of Alabama? Last month, the leaders of the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, better known and easier to say as NOAA, acknowledged the statement made that tropical storm-force winds from Hurricane Dorian could impact Alabama was not based on science, but on external pressure from senior Commerce Department officials who drafted the September 6th statement. We rely on the scientific community to provide accurate information, and if facts can be swallowed up by false bravado, in fear of making a mistake, God forbid, that doesn't say much for the leadership at NOAA. Why didn't those officials resign in protest or call a news conference and call out the president for acting like a five-year-old spoiled brat? Wait, hold on. It's really not fair to compare him to a five-year-old who's acting exactly like a five-year-old should. We shouldn't expect a small child to act like an adult, but we should expect the president to act like an adult. That ship sailed a long time ago. Fifty years ago, the government in the United States enacted a law that required agencies to consider the environmental impacts of proposed federal actions and projects, including the construction of highways, airports, oil and gas drilling and pipelines. It was called the National Environmental Policy Act. Seemed like a good idea. Hey, let's make sure we don't mess up the ground or the water supply or the air when we take on this new project. However, President, it's going to go away like a miracle, signed an executive order that waives key requirements of the act. This comes on the back of two other terrible choices by the president, who continues to place profit above people. In May, the president signed an executive order that allows several federal agencies to weaken regulatory requirements that may inhibit economic recovery. The EPA notified the fossil fuel industry that it could suspend enforcement of certain environmental laws, including requiring the gathering of public input on projects and the monitoring of air pollution levels. So when you see in the paper, there's gonna be a meeting down at City Hall, everyone's invited to come and you can voice your opinions. That's not gonna be that easy. The other rule makes it more difficult for states, tribes, and the public to protest or block pipelines or other projects that could pollute the air and the water. Why doesn't the media cover these issues? I know it's not as eye-catching as the deadly coronavirus or who the president slept with, or who he paid, or some of the other catchy news items. But couldn't they take one news segment every night and talk about how the president is reducing the EPA to a complete partner in crime with the fossil fuel industry? It's almost impossible to see any reports of it on television. Have you ever tried having a conversation with someone while the television or music was playing in the background and making it difficult to hear the person you're trying to communicate with? It's happened to me, and it happens to whales, too. Scientists have determined that heavy boat traffic reduces the sonar that whales use to communicate and all the extra sound causes the whales stress and other health issues. During the lockdown this spring, fewer boats were in the water. That gave marine scientists a good chance to see if the whales were happier in a quiet ocean. You could count on one hand the number of shows I watch on television. I started watching dino hunters this year and found it fascinating to watch these cowboys living in the Dakotas and in Wyoming search the ground for dinosaur bones. The work is arduous, with long hours spent meticulously digging at the dirt, hoping to unearth a prized set of dinosaur bones. The payoff can be worth millions. In 2015, scientists found a huge armor-plated dinosaur in northern Alberta, Canada. What made this find so interesting is that they found the fossilized remains of the last meal the dinosaur ate. Now, five years later, scientists announced that the dinosaur, a species of the ankylosaur family, a dino called Borealopelta, you may have seen one like that in the kids' show, The Land Before Time, that dinosaur polished off a meal consisting of twigs, stems, and fern. Most of the contents, 88% of it, was fern. And scientists found evidence of burned plant fragments inside the stomach. I just ate a snack pack of walnuts.
0: Now it's time, time. for the climate villain of the week. week.
1: The Heartland Institute is a nonprofit think tank that questions the reality and significance of climate change, secondhand smoke health hazards, and a host of other issues that might seem to require government regulation. The Heartland Institute has been at the forefront of denying scientific evidence for man made climate change. They have disturbing ties with Scott Pruitt at the EPA. Back in 18, released emails show the Environmental Protection Agency asked Heartland, who called themselves the preeminent organization opposing the radical climate alarmism agenda, for suggestions of scientists and and economists they might recommend for public hearings on science and global warming, counter negative news, and promote Administrator Scott Pruitt's stewardship of the agency, including people associated with groups that think like they do, like plants need carbon dioxide, the right climate stuff, and junk science. The emails revealed how the upper echelons of the EPA actively sought out people who shared their contempt for regulations and their enforcement. This is the Environmental Protection Agency, Environmental groups criticized the EPA for ignoring the conclusions and other scientists regarding man-made carbon emissions and their climate-changing impacts. I mean, it's so obvious. So maddening. You gotta vote. Murray Energy bankruptcy filings in 2019 revealed the Heartland Institute received $130,000 from the energy company owned by climate change denier Robert Murray. The filings revealed a wide range of creditors with deep ties to climate change denial, including the International Climate Science Coalition, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and Government Accountability and Oversight. Robert Murray was known for being a major Trump donor and giving officials a wish list of proposed actions to help the coal industry. Shame he went out of business. In the 1990s, the Heartland Institute worked with the tobacco company Philip Morris to question the science linking secondhand smoke to health risks, and they lobbied against government public health reforms. Sounds familiar, huh? In 1998 op-ed, former Heartland president Joe Bast claimed that moderate smoking doesn't raise lung cancer risks and that there were few, if any, adverse health effects associated with smoking. In a fundraising letter to Philip Morris, Bast wrote to Phillips Morris executive that Heartland does many things that benefit Philip Morris's bottom line, things that no other organization does. Later, 2014, Bass denies that he had claimed cigarettes were not harmful until confronted with his own op-ed. Ray Marden, past corporate affairs policy analyst and manager of industry affairs at Philip Morris, served as a board member at the Heartland Institute from 96 until 2008. According to Heartland, the public health community's campaign to demonize smokers And all forms of tobacco is based on junk science. Now, I don't care if you smoke or not. I'm just glad you're listening. But there are health risks to smoking. Joseph Bast, current president and CEO, was a strong defender of R.J. Reynolds' brand Camel. Remember Camel Joe? Or Joe Camel? That campaign, which some have argued targeted young children. You must remember this group is funded by the oil, gas, and tobacco industry. They have a clear agenda just like I do. But we're at opposite ends. We each have a goal. That's why your vote matters. The people at Heartland know the truth about fossil fuels and cigarettes. They simply choose to ignore the facts because of money. Remember a week ago or so when Kaylee McEnany was talking to the press about opening up the schools and she said, the science must not get in the way of schools opening. How do you respond to such nonsensical words? You vote. We are celebrating a special day for a very special man. Happy birthday! John Tyndall was born on August second, nineteen twenty, in Ireland, and died on December fourth, in eighteen ninety-three, in England. His initial scientific fame rose in the eighteen fifties from his study of diamagnetism, and that's a repulsive thing to say. Psh-truh. Later, Tyndall made discoveries in the realms of infrared radiation and the physical properties of air, proving the connection between atmospheric CO2 and what is now known as the greenhouse effect. He did that back in 1859. Tyndall's experiments concluded that among the elements of the atmosphere, water vapor is the strongest absorber of radiant heat and is therefore the most important gas controlling Earth's surface temperature. Tyndall later speculated on how fluctuations in water vapor and carbon dioxide could be related to climate change. Tyndall was a peer of last episode's birthday girl, Eunice Foote. In his last years, Tyndall often took chloral hydrate to treat his insomnia. While bedridden and ailing, he died from an accidental overdose of the drug in 1893 at the age of 73. The overdose was administered by his wife, Louisa. When Tyndall realized what had happened, he said to his wife, Louisa, my darling, you have killed your John. Well, that's a wrap for episode 12. Thanks again for listening, and good night, Galileo.
0: Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been a breath of fresh air. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.